Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Theologian N.T. Wright says that every worldview is a collection of ideas trying to answer these four fundamental questions. Who are we? Where are we? What's the problem? And what's the solution? And the last one's primarily true. What is the solution to our lostness? So we continue to grow, develop, and learn as much as we can in order to move forward and as we grow older. But the question is, who or what are we following? In 2005, the late David Foster Wallace, a brilliant and celebrated writer, delivered a commencement address titled, This is Water. He began by sharing a story of two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how is the water? The two young fish swim on for a bit and eventually one of them looks over at the other and says, what the heck is water? The point that Wallace was getting at is that fish don't know they're in water because it's the environment in which they've always existed. In other words, we're all being discipled. Discipleship isn't a Christian thing. It's a human thing. It's something that we all practice. Whether we like it or not, we're all disciples of something or someone, and we're all being discipled. This is water. Now, if you're not familiar with the term discipleship, the Greek word for disciple literally translates and means learner. In Jesus' day, people were often disciples under local rabbis. Today, we might not hitch ourselves to a rabbi, but we're constantly being bombarded by messages that are shaping us and molding us and impressing upon us a vision for the future. We're surrounded by competing voices that shape how we view politics, sex, money, the very reason for our existence. And much of this is happening passively and unconsciously. It just so happens to be the water that we swim in. So the question is, do you recognize it? Are you aware of who or what is discipling you? At one moment in Wallace's address, he told the graduates this. In the day-to-day -day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God, small g, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Worship your body and beauty and sexual allure and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. But the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they're unconscious. 
They're default settings. They're the kind of worship you gradually slip into day after day, getting more and more selective about what you see and how you measure value without ever being fully aware that that's what you're doing. Wallace was driving home the point that we're all being discipled by the world, by ideas, by the vision of the good life. And it's happening without us even knowing it. For this reason, it seems crazy to us when Jesus then calls us to follow him. In all three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my follower, my disciple, you must give up your own way, pick up your cross, and follow me. You see, in Jesus calling us to follow him, he's asking us to make a conscious choice. In, in making that choice, in choosing to follow him, it means that we must die to all other kinds of discipleship, to all the other competing voices. If we're going to live in God's kingdom with Jesus as the true king of the world, we can't remain in all of the other kingdoms. Tonight, we're kicking off a new series called The Words of Jesus, Give Up, Pick Up, and Follow. And I want us to take the words of Jesus seriously. I want us to wake up to the water that we're swimming in and to become conscious of the ideas and philosophies and the people that we're following. So this week, I want to simply dig into the first command of Jesus' threefold invitation to discipleship, which is to give up your own way, or as others translate it, deny yourself. It's simply about letting Jesus lead. Jesus' command to give up our own way takes us beyond the, the thinking level. You, you might already be thinking, well, all right, I'll become aware of what I'm filling my head with. I'll consider the call of Jesus over the call of the world. But Jesus isn't just targeting what we think about. He's actually targeting what we do. And I believe he's doing this because to change what we do means we need to change our hearts. It means we need to change our affections. I've been reading Mark Clark's new book, The Problem of Jesus. And in it, he shares that what changes our hearts isn't beliefs, isn't head knowledge, but it's our habits. He shares this example. If you're a disciple of materialism, your self-worth is defined by how you look and what you buy. But you didn't arrive at that belief through conscious thought. Most of us don't think our way into consumerism. Instead, over time, we're formed by the practices that lead us there and influence what we love and desire, what we worship. And this is why Jesus didn't simply just give us a list of doctrines to believe. Instead, he challenges the formation of our habits. Give up your own way. Pick up your cross. Ultimately, his call is much more transformative and powerful. It's the call to follow me. To change our discipleship from other voices, all these competing voices, and over to Jesus requires more than merely changing our ideas. It involves a change of action and habit. 
give up your own way, pick up your cross, and follow me. Action, behavior, habit. But why? Why should we do that? Well, because every other system, belief, philosophy, worldview, etc., that we try and fit ourselves into ends up leaving us empty. Nothing else can satisfy. You see, a me-first society is based on the idea that there is no next life. There's, there's nothing beyond this. This is all you've got, so might as well pile it up, store what you have, and enjoy what you have here and now. You know what? Jesus even shares a story about this, about a rich young man who had so much wealth, he didn't have room for all of it. He simply sat back and said to himself, oh, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Take it easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. You'll die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus' call to give up our own way subverts our most basic impulse. Why? Because he knows that to look anywhere else, our spouse, our kids, our jobs, our pleasures, that will never be satisfied. If you need proof, just look at the most successful, wealthiest, glamorous people. They're on their fourth, fifth marriages, struggle with addictions, are obsessed with plastic surgeries. So how then do we live? How do we put Jesus' call into practice? How do we experience a rich relationship with God, especially when Jesus' call is counter to everything else that we're being told. We're constantly being told to find our inner selves, our inner beauty, our inner truth, that this is our highest priority. But you see, if our lives have no transcendent component to them, if this world is all we've got, the here and the now, then we hit a ceiling. Let's face it, we all search for purpose and meaning and joy in our lives, and that's okay. The search isn't wrong, but we often try and fill it with all the wrong things. We're always trying to answer the blank to this statement. If I just had better blank, if I just had more blank, then I would be happy and complete in my life. We fill that with jobs, spouses, kids, hobbies, more money, more sex, you name it. This is why Jesus calls you out and invites you to give up your own way. So the first step in giving up your own way is to simply recognize that you're not the hero of the story. Jesus is reminding you that the hero of the story that you're currently living doesn't come from within, but instead he comes to us and rescues us despite ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean that you're not valuable. doesn't mean that you're not loved. You 100% are. It just means that it's a fatal error to make ourselves the center of the universe. Jesus and the biblical story know that we're part of the problem. 
Tim Keller, an author and former pastor in New York City, writes, the deliberately chosen Greek word for life here is psyche, from which we get our word psychology. It denotes your identity, your personality, your selfhood. In other words, Jesus isn't saying lose yourself just to lose yourself, but to base your life on him and the gospel, on Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, not on your own life. Keller explains that Jesus is saying, it's not enough just to know me as a teacher or a principal for life. I went to the cross. I lost my identity so that you can have one. Base your life on that, not yourself. We can be our own worst enemies, but we have a God who loves us and who seeks to rescue us. So the next step in giving up your own way is to recognize that you're not designed to produce true and lasting joy for yourself. But man, do we sure try. Just like you're not the hero of this story, you're not designed to produce true and lasting joy for yourself. It doesn't come from within. It's not sustainable, whatever joy we can muster up. It's part of the transcendent component that Jesus offers. The joy doesn't come from within, but Jesus offers us the joy. Have you ever attempted to do a job that you weren't intended to do or equipped to do? I have, and it was a disaster. When I was a youth pastor, I would help with the local Christian school, their chapel service once a month. And one day as I was wrapping up my message, I wanted to close with a specific worship song. So I asked the student worship team to come back up and to lead us in this song. However, the guitar player was nowhere to be found. We just couldn't find him, don't know where he went. But at that moment, this brilliant thought came to me. Why don't I just play the guitar? Now, to explain my reasoning behind this, a few months earlier, I had bought Amanda a guitar for her birthday, and she had been learning some worship songs, and she'd even been teaching me how to play some of the well-known worship chords. Now, I'd actually been playing a little bit just at home and singing to myself, but I really wanted to close this chapel service with the song, so I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna play this. However, I'm the person that if the lyrics go out on the screen, I don't even know what I'm singing anymore. On top of that, the guitar that was there was one I'd never played before, and it didn't have a capo. So normally I would put the capo on it so I could sing in more of a regular tone, but for this, they didn't have one. So for some reason, I still thought this was an inspired moment, so I continued to play this song for them and sing it way lower than I ever should have. And it was a train wreck. Like, I still remember the looks on the kids' faces as they watched with horror what was happening before their very eyes. I don't know how someone didn't just come up and take the guitar away from me and close in prayer. Needless to say, I walked away from the guitar never to return. My intentions were good, but I was incompetent. I was unfit for the task. Despite my best efforts, I had an inability to do what was required. 
And you see, it's for this reason Jesus entered our world to save us from ourselves because we are incapable or incapable of doing so. We're unable to find that within. It comes through the transcendent God. Giving up your own way is recognizing that you were never designed to produce true and lasting joy for yourself. Let someone who knows what he's doing do it for you. In the words of Jesus, whoever loses their life will find it. And the next step in giving up your own way is to reorient your life around God. Lately, I've been reading a book called Atomic Habits, Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results by James Clear. And while this was written for a general audience about any type of habit that you want to develop or perhaps break, I can't get over how much of it applies to our relationship with Jesus. In chapter 12, Clear talks about the law of least effort. And he explains that the real motivation is to be lazy is to do what's convenient. That's what drives us. So he concludes the chapter by asking, how can we design a world where it's easy to do what is right? And he answers it by saying this, redesign your life. So the actions that matter most are also the actions that are easiest to do. And that just hit me reorient your life around God and around Jesus. This is precisely what Jesus was getting at 2,000 years ago. He's saying, make a conscious decision to follow me and to arrange your life in such a way that your habits will naturally flow from this and so that you can live life to the fullest, how you were designed in relationship with me. We were designed for relationship. We were designed in the image of the relational and the triune God. He invites us to step into that and to reorient our lives around him. And what's more is that Jesus has promised to help. Jesus tells us that when we choose to follow him, when we obey his commandments, when we center our lives around him, he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate or helper who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The good news is that this is not a lone journey. As we give up our own way, we don't lose ourselves, we actually find ourselves, our true selves in Jesus. And Jesus promises to be with us through the presence of his Holy Spirit, which fills us and enables us to experience life, joy, happiness, and love to the full. Mark Clark said, long before self-help philosophy made happiness and joy about our own selfish pursuits. It was a Christian concept of what we could experience, not by searching within ourselves or even for happiness itself, but by being willing to define our lives by our relationship with a loving and all-powerful God. Another theologian wrote, your real self will not come out as long as you look for it. It will only emerge when you're looking for him. Jesus.
This is what Jesus means when he commands you to give up your own way. What you do with your life means everything. A Christianity that's characterized by mere beliefs, head knowledge, it rarely translates into a different quality of life. But on the other hand, Jesus' call to discipleship is costly because when you choose to give up your own way and follow him, it will transform your way of being in the world. In other words, if your belief in Jesus doesn't transform your way of being in the world, if it doesn't make you any different than the non-Jesus-believing world around you, you might not be a disciple of Jesus. Following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, is costly. It will transform you. It's a reprioritization of everything. Your relationships, your money, the way you do your job, the way you relate to your spouse and your kids and your neighbors. You can't compartmentalize the words of Jesus over here and the rest of your life over here. While there is a set of beliefs that Christians hold to, they have a purpose. And that purpose is to produce a radical life change and a transformation from the inside out so that you can go and transform the world around you with the help of the Holy Spirit. The default setting of the human heart is a rejection of Jesus' authority over our lives. We want that self-sufficiency. We want to find our inner truths. We even see this written about in scripture, that people just could not accept how much it cost to follow him. But Jesus' proposed remedy to this rejection is this. Give up your own way. Pick up your cross and follow me. Never have there been three more radical yet life giving invitations given. Give up your own way. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Let me close by simply asking, what or who are you a disciple of? Are you a follower and a disciple of Jesus? Have you reprioritized your life around him? Is your life being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit? Will you commit or perhaps recommit to following him now? I encourage you to pray with me and let's surrender our lives to him now. Wherever you're at, give up your own way. Trust in him and his promises and live life to the full. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son, Jesus. God, I not only confess, I repent of trying to do life my own way. It is so countercultural to hear these words of Jesus and to choose to follow them. Because everything around us is constantly telling us, me first, me first, me first. But God, you tell us that it's about making you first and everything else will fall into place around that. As we lose ourselves, 
that's how we find ourselves in you. God, I pray that as we repent of disturbing and breaking the peace and harmony that you desire of the world, I ask for your forgiveness and I ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. That as we make you the true king of the world, as we reprioritize our lives around you, that you will transform us from the inside out. God, we surrender our lives to you. Help us follow you. Give us the courage and the boldness to go out and live life to the full, a life that's marked by you, by your love, by your grace, by your forgiveness. Father, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.